morning, church family. It's good to be back for some of you. Uh, you might have been wondering, where is Pastor Stephen Silva at? And I just want to thank you for allowing me to be borrowed by another place. And this place is Guatemala, where my mom is originally from. And uh, since I recently received the second church, uh, Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Church, people realized that I speak Spanish. And so they started inviting me to different events to speak in Spanish. And one of them was a conference called GYC, but now in the United States, GYC Guatemala. And so uh, I was able to go to GYC Guatemala. And while I was already out of the country, we decided to take some vacation afterwards. Not very wise, but, you know, with uh, two little kids, we decided to cross two borders into Belize and then Mexico. Uh, I don't recommend doing that. Don't travel across uh, borders. And I was t sharing with some of you, you know, we're very, my, my, my wife grew up here in the United States, and so she doesn't understand how things work outside of the country. And, and uh, she was insistent with my sister, who came along with her two kids, to take the chairs, the, the, the chairs that we put in the cars, the, what do they call them? Just car seats, why I just forget that? And um, I told her, don't bring the car seats. They're huge. She's taking a plane and across places. They insisted, you know, like, you know, mothers over their cubs. We're taking the car seats. And uh, we got to Guatemala and Mexico with these huge things and all this luggage for the kids. And none of the cars there have any attachments to connect the car seats anywhere. So here is Papa Bear carrying two car seats across the borders and, you know, going up and down. It, it was quite an interesting trip with two little kids, three and one and a half to travel. Um, but one experience that I do want to share with you is that after I finished the conference, we went to a vacation in the state of Mexico called Quintana Roo, which is a state where Cancun is located. And so the beaches there are really beautiful. And um, the beaches are so beautiful that we decided to stay there about a week. Um, I was uh, vacationing with family that is not really a church attenders or, you know, don't really have maybe a relationship with God all the time. Some of them do, some of them don't. And so Saturday came, my Sabbath, and, you know, I got up in the morning, put on my suit, and some of them were looking at me. They didn't say it, but I, I think they imagined that, hey, chill out, Stephen, you're on vacation. You don't have to, you know, go to church. And they decided to, you know, take the day on the, on the beach and play and, you know, do all the water sports and all that. And I decided to go to church. And, and I don't know what they were thinking was probably you're wasting a day of vacation, you know, leaving the beautiful beach and, and going to church. But as I was leaving, God put a thought into my mind. The thought was, isn't it so strange that they're choosing to stay and worship the creation while I'm going to worship the Creator. And so I was so appreciative. I showed up to this little church that literally had like 12 church members, and the pastor had 25 churches. When he found out that I was a pastor, he told me that we're having a Christmas reunion just down the road this afternoon. Can you come preach? Follow me after potluck. We got in the car, and just around the corner was an hour later, 
down this street, dirt roads, you know, villages that, you know, barely have any electricity. Finally, we got to this dilapidated little town that probably is not even on Google Maps. And there in this broken down church, I entered and there was 300 faithful church members gathered there. And they asked me to speak, and, you know, they introduced me, and they're like, here's a pastor from the United States of America, from Michigan. And uh, after I preached a sermon and I was leaving, there was a dear old saint of the church, must have been 80 years of age, and I was leaving. He came up to greet me. He gave me a big, big hug. By the way, if I'm more huggy and kissy lately, it's because I just came back from Mexico and Guatemala. Everybody hugs and kisses. And he gave me a big old hug. And, and what he said was, I am so honored and privileged that a pastor all the way from the United States of America would come to our little village us to speak here and he started like shedding tears and I'm just like no no I'm the one that's honored what are you talking about and as I left there I realized that you know in this little village they get the pastor about once or twice a year to come to their church they don't have 3ABN they don't have you know all these pastors and sermons and audio verse that you guys have or or three pastors here at this local church and and and, and powerful preachers even your elders but you know as i left i left knowing that they would be all right you know why they would be all right because they have the bible they have the word of god and I'm so thankful that whether you live in New York City, East Lansing, Los Angeles, California, or some little forgotten village in the middle of Mexico, that God has given us His Word. And His Word is powerful and mighty and strong. At the end of, of, of the year, me and Pastor Jermaine, and sometimes we include the elders, sometimes gather. And what we do is that we look at University Seventh-day Adventist Church, we look at ourselves as a faith community, and we kind of start asking ourselves the questions, you know, what are the strengths of our church, and what are the weaknesses of our church? What are areas that we're strong in? What are areas that we need to improve in? And then we kind of plan our sermonic calendar, or what we're going to preach on, or maybe themes for the months based on what we feel are the needs of of this church and we'll uh, that going forward now about two years ago we were doing this and one of the things we said was the church we, we need we need more of the Bible we just need people to get more passionate about reading or studying the Bible and so we decided to put you know one month was a focus on the Bible that month came and went like that and we felt like it almost had no impact we're like no, that wasn't the answer. We need more. We feel like the Bible is vital to the spiritual and physical growth of this church. And so as we were planning the year 2019, we said, you know, forget about all the other themes. What we need is we need to focus on the Word of God. And so in doing so, in planning our sermons for the rest of the year, we decided as a church, we're going to take this journey of the Bible reading plan, and we're going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation together, and the sermons are going to be based on that week's reading so we don't leave anyone behind, so that everyone comes along with us in this journey. And so I'm excited about the Word of God. And today I want to end the year preaching 
about the Word of God as your spiritual defibrillator. Your spiritual what? defibrillator. Let's begin with a word of prayer, friends. Dear Heavenly Father, as we begin today, I just want to ask that your Holy Spirit would come into my lips, my tongue, my heart, my mind, and all of us as well here. Help us to be illuminated to the importance of reading your word. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the Bible has a reviving, a reviving power, a reviving power. It has a reviving power that gives life. When we think of revival, many times you might think of uh, different things. Some of you might think of a church worship service. You might think of maybe church growth, maybe an evangelistic series. But when I think of revival, I think of the Bible. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know or may not know, but our U.S. Congress has two chaplains that are attached to it. Two chaplains that are voted as chaplains. The U.S. Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives, has a chaplain who is a Roman Catholic Jesuit by the name of Patrick Conroy. And the job of the chaplains in Congress is to pray with the the congressmen, to give them Bible studies, to give them spiritual counsel and decisions they're making. And so for the U.S. House of Representatives, it's this Roman Catholic Jesuit. Now on the U.S. Senate side... There is a Seventh-day Adventist by the name of Barry Black, who is the Senate chaplain, and he's the one giving Bible studies on Daniel 2 and Revelation to our U.S. Senators, and he has been doing that for, for many, many years. And this man was someone who you would have never thought would have gotten to the position of the Senate chaplain. Because if you would have seen Barry Black growing up, where he grew up, in the conditions of his life, you would have said, this young man is not going to amount to much. But Barry Black testifies of the power of the reviving power of the Word of God. You see, his mother one day was given a handbill by an anonymous Seventh-day Adventist inviting her to an evangelistic series. And as she read that flyer, this was the title of the opening sermon of that evangelistic series. This is what it said as the opening uh, title. It said, The day money will be thrown in the streets of Baltimore, Maryland, and no one will stop to pick it up. What an opening title for the opening sermon, right? So the mother of Barry Black received this, and being a single black mother in the inner city of Baltimore, pregnant with three kids, no husband, no parental figure, on food stamps, she took one look at that flyer and she said, I'm going, I'm not staying for the whole sermon, I just want an answer to two questions. When and where? When will the money be thrown and where will the money be thrown? Because I know one somebody who will stop to pick it up. And that's me. 
So she went to the meeting, and instead of staying just a few minutes to answer those two questions, she stayed for 12 weeks. Those were the real evangelistic series back in the days, right? 12 weeks, and she was revived by the power of his word. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And by the reviving power of this word, this family who had never had a graduate from college. This family, they had a history of alcohol, alcoholism and drug addiction. This family that was in the middle of the toxic pathology of the inner city was able to receive the reviving power of God's word in their life. And all the children ended up going to church school. All the children ended up going to college, many of them from Oakwood, and all the children became useful, contributing members to society without addictions in their life because a church member invited them to hear the reviving power of God's Word. Do you believe in the reviving power of God's Word for your life? Sometimes... I am troubled as a pastor because I begin to share stories or illustrations from God's Word. And as I look in the audience, especially among the youth, I see a look of puzzlement, of, of, of I don't get it. It seems that more and more in our churches, we're having the problem of biblical illiteracy. That people don't even know the stories of the Bible anymore. They are becoming foreign to them. Billy Graham said one time, we're one generation away from being an agnostic culture. Because if we don't tell the stories of the power of God and His mighty acts in His Word, then it will be just in a short time where we have forgotten. And the words of Hosea chapter 8 verse 12 can come true in just one generation where he says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as strange things. They were counted as what? Strange things. Strange things. I fear for our faith community here and all over the word, world that we would forget the reviving power of God's word in our lives. And so, yes, God's word can revive you. And many of you are here as a testimony that God's word has revived you. Maybe some of you came from alcoholism, from drugs, from family dysfunctions, from unbelief or false beliefs, and you have seen as you have allowed God's Word into your life, a transformation, a change. You went from death into life. But today I don't only want to talk about the reviving power of God's Word, because many times we're very proud and we say, I don't need a reviving power because I'm alive. I just need a little, a little, you know, just a little fix, just a little boost, maybe just Maybe we have a, a B12 shot spiritually. I don't need the reviving power of God's Word. I just need a little something, a little something. And so today, because of our proud nature, I'm not going to concentrate on the reviving power of God's Word because then I'd be saying you are dead. 
But I want to talk to you about something else that God's word does. Hebrews chapter 4, our scripture for today says in verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrows, and listen to this part, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the of the heart. What is the Bible telling us here? That the Bible doesn't only have a reviving power, but it also has a discerning power. Another way to put it is that when we read the Bible, we do not so much search the Word of God as the Word of God searches, searches us. And that's why in a special, specific way, in a sense, the Bible is saying that it is our spiritual defibrillator. Our spiritual what? Defibrillator. Now, defibrillators are amazing modern machines. You might have seen some of these in large public gatherings, whether at uh, football stadiums, whether at the mall, whether at the grocery store. You're seeing more and more of these around. In fact, we have discussed purchasing one of these for our local church congregation here. And the reason that these machines are amazing is because they have saved many a life. Life. But today I want to do away with a misconception of how exactly defibrillators work. You see, many times people have the misconception based on movies or TV shows as to what the defibrillators actually do. You've seen it maybe before. Someone is rushed into the ER and they're crying out, they need help. They need help. They're rushed into an emergency room. They hook them up on the cardiac monitor, and it goes beep, beep, beep. But slowly and surely, the beeps get longer. Beep, 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 until it's a complete flat line. And you say, oh, no, that character can't die. That's my favorite character in the show. What are they going to do? And right in your moment of, of despair, there a nurse shouts out, Get the defibrillator. And out comes a doctor, a nurse with the pads. They put him on their chest. They count down. Everybody clear and shock. And the patient jumps off the bed. And all of a sudden, there's a moment of silence. They look at the screen. And all of a sudden, beep, beep, beep. And the heart begins again. And everybody cheers. Well, I hate to break it to you. That's all a lie. You've been lied to all this time because defibrillators cannot and do not shock a heart that has no electrical beat back to life. It cannot do that. So defibrillators are not a reviving shock. No, no, no. If someone comes into the ER and they have no heartbeats, they don't shock them. What they do is begin CPR to keep the blood flowing, pumping to the rest of the body, and then they give them drugs to try to stimulate their heart again. So what are defibrillators used for? Why are they life-saving? Why are they life-saving? The reason is because most people who have heart trouble don't exactly just have a heart attack and their heart stops and they just die. Usually what happens is that their heart beat or their heart rhythms are out of whack. 
Something's wrong with the way their heart is pumping, the muscle is moving. Usually it's two ways, two ways. The first one is that your heart just begins, instead of beating, to just quiver. It just begins to quiver. That's a problem because it needs to be beating. The second problem is that sometimes it begins to beat too fast. Boom, 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 boom. And so the chambers of the heart can't fill up with, with blood and pump out to the rest of the body. But then they invented this beautiful defibrillator machine that all you do is slap on those pads. And what it does is these three things. It analyzes your what? It analyzes your heart. It analyzes the beat, whether it's quivering or whether it's beating too fast. And once it analyzes the heart, then it applies the appropriate shock to the heart. And the shock resets your heart or the beat of the heart so that it is functioning new again. And so this is an amazing machine that analyzes the shocks and resets the, the heart. But listen, friends, the Bible is not only a reviving word, but it's also a discerning word. And just like the real defibrillator, God's word is given to us not only to take you from death to life, but also when you've been coming to church on a regular basis and living life in this sinful world and you're not quite dead, but you're not quite alive, your spiritual life is quivering or your spiritual life is out of whack, your heart condition is not good, you open up the word of God and the word of God like the spiritual defibrillator that it is analyzes your heart, looks at your heart, examines your heart, tells you what is the condition of your heart. And as you know how God's Word has worked in my life and your life may be as well the same, it applies the right verse, the right scripture to shock you back. And if you allow that to happen, if you allow the Word to discern your heart's condition, to shock you with the right words at the right time, then it will have the power to reset your heart. Oh, I love that book, the Bible. I love it so much. Another way of putting it is that you have received the Word. You have believed the Word, and thus you then obey the Word. This is a beautiful quote that we have talking about this experience of the heart with the Word of God. It says, the whole Bible. How much of the Bible? The whole Bible is a revelation of the glory of God in Christ. Received, believed, and obeyed. It is a great instrumentality in the transformation of character. Let me give you a little, a little secret here. Can I give you a little pastoral secret? Do you know what the greatest desire of all the pastors that we talk with and gather is for our churches? It's not, oh, I hope they give more tithe and offerings. Oh, I wish that they would invite more people. I wish that they would come on time for Sabbath school. Do you know what the greatest desire is of all the pastors when they gather together? That our churches, our church members, 
will become more spiritual and would have a transformation of character. Can I give you the other side of it too? You know what the greatest desire of the church members is? That their pastors would be more spiritual and have a greater transformation of, of character. And that is only done by the instrumentality of the reviving power of the word and also the spiritual defibrillator. When we receive, when we also, as the Bible says, believe, obey, uh, receive, obey, and uh, sorry, receive, believe, and obey. It is a great instrumentality in the transformation of character. It is a grand stimulus in containing force that quickens the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers and directs the life into the right channels. And the reason why the youth and even those of mature years are so easily led into temptation and sin is that they do not study the Word of God and meditate upon it as they should. Woo! That's the shock. Are you feeling it? Boom, boom. It discerns and it, and it shocks. Is that true? The lack of firm, decided willpower, which is manifest in life and character, results from the neglect of the sacred instruction of God's words. They do not by earnest effort direct the mind to that which would inspire pure, holy thoughts and divert it from that which is impure and untrue. If the word of God were appreciated as it should be, both young and old would possess an inward rectitude, a strength of principle that would enable them to resist temptation. Oh, what a desire that God has for our people. And He has given us that instrumentality, and this instrumentality is a spiritual defibrillator called the Word of God. The Word of God. I'm not sure what you receive for Christmas. How many of you got Christmas gifts? Anybody got a Christmas gift? Hmm? Raise your hand if you got a Christmas gift. You should be thankful. Pastor Silva got no Christmas gifts. Because we give them all to the kids, right? It's all about the kids. But, you know, um, this year, uh, for the first time, I think, in two years, I actually got my wife a gift for the first time in two years. She deserves it. She deserves it every year. But the reason I've been neglectful in getting her a gift is because I was a little hurt a couple years ago. You know, I wanted to be the good husband, and, and I really looked on Amazon, you know, best gifts for mothers, best gifts for wives, what do women like? And, you know, I went to the store, I asked her sister, what do you think she would like? And I did all this research for Christmas, and I ended up getting her one of those watches that tracks, like, your health, you know, it's like your steps, your heartbeat, all that good stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's like, that's what everybody likes, you know, it, was, it just come out, everybody liked it. And so, you know, on Christmas morning, I, I did, you know, the, the, the husband wrap, you know, it's all messed up, really not that pretty. And uh, she unwrapped it, she got it, and she opened it, and she's like, oh, thank you, honey. Oh, thank you. I was like, yes, you know, I won, I did good. And then about a week later, I found the, the watch in like a cupboard that we never opened, kind of like forgotten. And I'm like, oh, she must have, you know, misplaced it. And so I got, oh, honey, you, you misplaced your watch. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> then like three weeks later, I find it again, like in a forgotten cupboard somewhere else. And eventually, I think she only wore it like two times uh, this, since I gave it to her. 
And, and so I thought about that, and I think, how many of the presents that you have received are you going to really use for a long time? I mean, some of you might enjoy it for, like, the new clothes, right? You're wearing it like that same Christmas you put it on. You might wear it a couple times. Then it becomes part of uh, your old clothes, right? You might get new shoes, and you wear it. Then it gets scuffed up. Then it becomes part of your, the regular shoes. You might get a toy. You might get a present. You enjoy it for a little bit. But after a while, it really stops really giving to you an enjoyment that you had when you first opened it. The Christmas gifts come and and go. But let me tell you something. The Word of God is a gift that God has given that you can open every day of the year and you will receive something new, something lasting, something relevant, and something powerful for your life. Why don't you open up that gift? And that's the gift that we're trying to give you this year by inviting you to join us in this Bible reading plan to get into God's Word and discover the good things He has there for you. The Bible continues, or Dwight L. Moody tells us that the Bible is not just for reading, because the whole point is we don't want to just read the Bible and say, I completed a checklist, I've done the task, I completed the homework. The Dwight L. Moody says the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our Change our lives. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, So get rid of all that filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the Word of God as planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your, to save your souls. Wow. Why do we not read this book? It's like, it's really unbelievable. Un it's not understandable. God must be so frustrated. The angels must be like shouting like, what are you doing? Why do we neglect the reading of his word? John Albrecht Hengel, uh, Bengel says, apply thyself wholly to the text and then apply the whole matter wholly to thyself. Because the ultimate goal of Bible study is application, not just interpretation. You know, we're good as Seventh-day Adventists of, of knowing certain things about the Bible, but we need to apply what we read in scriptures. The Bible gives us this beautiful quote in Psalms 1, verses 2 to 3. But they delight in the law of the Lord. And there, instead of the law, you could put the word of God or the Bible. That's what they refer, were referring to with the law of the Lord. It's not just the Ten Commandments, but it's, it's his word in the Old Testament. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And they are like trees planted along the riverbanks, bearing fruit each season their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they they do that could be you you could be that tree that's what god wants for your life as you meditate on his word day and and night the Bible wants that for you. So it's time to stop rehearsing what we believe and start looking at what difference it makes in our life. You know, Barry Black says that the Bible saved his life. It truly actually did save his life because his mother had a task of uh, giving him his allowance based on the memory verses that he shared with her. And so he says that he became an expert at the shortest verses in the Bible because he would get his, you know, she didn't say how long, she just said a, a memory verse. 
And so he would be like, you know, Jesus wept. And, you know, he would memorize all those short scriptures in the Bible. And um, he became really fascinated with the book of Proverbs. He says to this day he still reads Proverbs, which has, I believe, 30 chapters. And he reads one for every day of the month. And he does that every month. He'll read through the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, it talks about uh, counsel to a young man. It says, my child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. And Barry Black tells a story that when he was in the inner cities of Baltimore, he had these two friends he would run with. And one day they came to his door and they told him that uh, they were going to get revenge on someone who had mistreated them, someone who had you know, done something to them. They're asking Barry Black, come with us. We're going to get back at this person. And while he was considering going, the reading of the day for Proverbs was chapter 1. And as he was thinking of going with his friends, he read, My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. And he decided not to go. His friends went, and they didn't only get revenge, they murdered. They murdered that person. And they ended up getting life in jail. Barry Black says it would be hard to become a U.S. Senate chaplain while serving life for murder. The word saved his life because he applied the word to his life. So the first issue is we're not reading the word, friends. We're not reading the word enough. Some of us are not reading the word at all. This is the only word you're receiving all week. And that's a problem. The second problem is that we're foolish in that if we are reading the Word, we're not applying it to our life. We're not applying it to our life. Thus, we are not allowing the shock to reset our hearts and get us back in a normal rhythm that God wants us to be. And so as the year comes to an end, as a pastor, I struggle to know what to do to get us to read the Bible more. But the simplest and easiest thing that I could come up with was to simply read the Bible together. To hold hands together with your pastors, to hold hands together with those next to you, in front of you, and behind you, and say, beginning in 2019, we're going to take this walk together. We're going to keep each other accountable. And, and every sermon that is preached, the question is going to be asked, have you, read, have you read your week this week? Have you prepared for the sermon this week? And, and together as a church... I believe we're going to grow. We're going to get shocked. We're going to get revealed, discerner of our hearts, analyzed. But we're also going to get reset. And if you're dead, you're also going to get revived. If you allow the word to do its work. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ultimately, my last appeal of why you should study the Bible and why you should 
apply what you read to your life is simply one word, Jesus, Jesus. Because the only place you could find Jesus is in the Word. You can't go to a house to talk to Him. You can't visit Him in Jerusalem. Jesus encounters you in the Bible. That's where He is revealed. This Christmas has been a little bit different for me. I'm almost done, promise. And uh, because my three-year-old finally understands a little bit more. And so I actually have to explain Bible stories to her now and their meaning and who Jesus is and why he came as a baby. And it's been really exciting to talk about the gospel and the plan of salvation with my daughter and talk about Jesus in a way that is beyond just, look at the little baby, isn't he cute? But, you know, kind of explaining who he is and what he means to us. And just to see my daughter processing all those things in her head has been amazing. But the greatest, the greatest thing I have seen is that uh, just, I think, two days ago, she flipped uh, one of her seats upside down and got one of our Bible story books, and she started preaching. She started preaching uh, for the first time. And in fact, uh, before she preached, she did a baby dedication. <laughs> the previous Sabbath at the other church, I had done a baby dedication. She got one of her dolls, and, and, and she said, bring your baby. I want to pray over your baby. And she asked that the parents would raise the baby well and all that good stuff. And when she started to preach, she started to talk about Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I sit with my daughter every day, either morning or evening, and we open up the Bible, her Bible, and we read it together. And through that, she's encountering Jesus. And if it works for her, I know it can work for you. I can't be at your house every day and read the Bible with you, but know that I am reading the Bible with you in my own time together. The person in front of you, if they commit today, We'll also read the Bible with you, and together we will get closer and know more about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's God's gift to you in his word, to get to know his son a little bit more. And so today I want to ask that uh, we could pass out our uh, Bible reading plan calendar at this time. And uh, Richard, if, if you could help me with that, and uh, Jermaine, if you could also help me with that, passing out of the uh, Bible reading plan. And I'm going to put it in your hands. And what you do with it is between you and the Lord. But I've always found it that um, when we are able to make a public commitment to the Lord, many times that strengthens our resolve to actually keep it. And I don't mean a public commitment in front of the rest of the church. I mean a public commitment between us and the Lord. And so what I'm going to ask is John Renee to uh, please help us to sing our closing song. And at the end of that song, I'm going to ask for an appeal, a commitment that this year will be the year that together as a church, you commit to read through the whole Bible with our Bible reading plan. So let's go to our closing song, number 125. 125.
Um, rise and sing with.